Hello and welcome to TV Break, the PopBreak.com's monthly roundup of all the ins and outs of the world of TV. I am PopBreak podcast editor, Alex Marcus, and I am joined, as always, by PopBreak editor-in-chief, Bill Bodkin. How are you today, Bill? You know, I'm doing good. Um, unlike la- the last few times where I feel like, man, didn't we just do this? It feels like about two years since we last podcast, and I'm I'm thankful for this reunion. Yep, it's that extra week in June that, that got us... Um, yeah, I, it was. Yeah, the ways that the the weeks have fallen the last couple of months have been very bizarre. Um, I mean, you know, <laughs> what is what is time? Time doesn't mean anything anymore. Um, maybe uh, our next uh, host can help us answer that question. Uh, we're, welcome, Josh Darnacki, our resident TV columnist. How are you today? Do you have any answers about the meaning of time? Wait, is, is 2020 over yet? No. I <laughs> that at 1.2 i'm just like yeah hey, you know what are we gonna do next year it was like working i'm like we have to think about next year we have to think about 2021 they're like dude it's july 2021 i'm like oh eh. it's debatable yeah i don't know if we're ever gonna get out of 2020 uh but in the meantime uh something that we are going to be doing is talking about uh the new amc bold original series uh kevin can f himself uh we're gonna be uh pg at least for a little while um, we're also going to say farewell to a late night uh, all-star and check in on the streaming wars, as always. But before we get into all of that, let's start out with the best thing that we watched last month on TV. Josh, let's start with you. Ooh, part of me wants to cheat on this one and say a movie I watched on streaming, but I feel like that would not be that would not count. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Although, if you want to bring it up during our streaming wars segment, that would be entirely appropriate. Okay, I'll, I'll play by the rules for now. In, in that <laughs> case, I will have to pick, um, no surprise, Loki as my show for the month. It has definitely been not quite what I expected of it. I remember going in and getting a lot of Doctor Who vibes, and it has given off a lot of that as it's gone along, like very much so. Um, but the thing for me that's really surprised me the most is one, how much it's leaned into the the multiverse of it all. I was expecting more time travel-y, less multiversal, um, but we're definitely getting a lot of that, especially with the um, the end credit scene from last week's episode. And on top of that, I was so shocked to see like it go right into such heavy things when I expected it to be such a goofball play, like especially with Owen Wilson in it. No matter what, we have Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson talking about like free will and determinism, and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa! I was in this for just some backstabbing tomfoolery. I wasn't expecting this, but it's sorry, it's it's Tom Hiddleston, not tomfoolery. That's a different British actor. Oh, oh, brother, he was really good in that remake of Tom Jones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The role, obviously. Yeah, mm-hmm. Add it to my list. <laughs> But no, I, I wasn't expecting it to, to go in that direction from the start. And I I think the feel of the show is also just really so memorable and really a I, I I'm so surprised they went for that choice because it's it's a show that in a lot of ways reminds me of uh DC's Legends of Tomorrow, but the aesthetic is completely different. Like it's so art deco. And it's so, I don't know, it, it plays things more serious, 
but there's there's still the undercurrent of humor there um and i think it, it works really well and i'm definitely excited to see the last two episodes of this season and i think i i heard that there's a season two potentially coming out so i don't know what's that's gonna the happen rumor. yeah that's the rumor we'll see about that there was lots of rumors about uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier getting a second season, and then uh, it turned out it was actually a movie that people were talking about. So no. it'll be interesting. But one thing that we do know is that the events of this are supposed to lead directly into the Doctor Strange sequel in the same way that uh, WandaVision uh, did. That was, that's was that been long promised by Kevin Feige himself. So, uh, And I think by now we could see how that might come to pass, <laughs> given all of the multiversal madness at, on display i yeah. love i love the aesthetic like you were saying josh it's like so different from the mar like everything else we've seen in marvel it's so like very like 70s dystopian logan's run type sci-fi vibe to it i i love it so much especially when they're in the tva yeah, I think it looks great. I think that um, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson have great chemistry. I really like uh, the actress who is playing uh, Sylvie, a.k.a. Loki, doppelganger. Um, I Sophia DiMartino, right? Something like yep. that? Yep, DiMartino. Nice, okay. Um, so, yeah, I think she's excellent. Uh, like, it's so such fantastic uh, casting on that effect. Like, picking someone who looks like they could vaguely be you know tom hiddleston as a woman um but also like bringing so much of his energy and then also so much of a different energy it's like it's a very interesting line that they draw um with her and i'm really excited to see where things go based on that uh, mid-credits scene <laughs> the end of last week's episode um yeah it's gonna be cool i can't wait uh bill how about you what's the best thing that you've seen on tv this last month so we can't cheat and say a movie right we cannot say a movie, you guys. I have a whole other movie podcast. Josh has a whole other movie podcast. We can I, talk about it there. <laughs> it's free on Disney Plus. Um, so I, I will get. I, I have been very. I have not been able to watch much television uh, due to circumstances. But um, I will. I've continued with the Bad Batch, the animated, the Star Wars animated series. I'm really enjoying that. They have very much evolved this show. Um, in the beginning, they had that 80. Plus minute premiere, which was kind of daunting but really good. But after that, slowed up a little bit. I even thought the graphics work was a little like kind of harkening back to a bygone era of like five to ten years ago. But since then, I feel like everything is kind of up the ante a little bit. Storytelling's way better. They're using the one uh, uh, child character a lot better, not just making it the child in distress, doesn't know what to do, causes all the problems type archetype. And uh, they're doing a lot better with that. And I think this is going to lead to a very thrilling uh, season finale because I can't see this being a one and done. I feel like this could be a multi uh, multi series run here. So I'm really excited to see what they're going to be doing with that. So that's that's the best thing I watched. And like I said, if uh, maybe I even said last month, if you didn't watch Clone Wars, you don't need to. They literally fill you in within the first five minutes of that premiere. So you're good. Now, the show wrapped up its first season at this point. So this series will end July 30th. Uh, so we have a whole month left to go. And uh, despite its long episode run, it's it's not lost its steam, which is really, really nice to see because we've seen plenty of long running cartoons just kind of just it's, you know, it gets like past episode eight or nine and they're just like, oof, they're just sucking wind and they can't get past it. But 
this is doing really well. So I'm really happy with the Bad Batch right now. So that's my recommendation for this month. That's awesome. Now, I have a question about that show, as I haven't watched it, even though you have talked about it before. Um, I know that, like, Clone Wars had this balance between episodic um, shows, uh, episodes and, uh, like, overarching plot lines. And I'm curious, like, does this show, like, have, like, run in that same manner? Does it lean more towards a serialized um, structure or more towards an episodic one? It actually is, there is an overlying structure that motivates every episode. Now, they might go on some side quests or do some different, like, uh, you know, battle the bad baddie of the day or the episode, but the overarching storyline remains intact throughout and is revisited throughout. Um, it's not always the dominant thing, but it is always the motivator of how the, the Bad Batch, you know, operates in that episode, which is that they're being hunted by the newly formed Empire. Yeah. Okay, and I know that Ming Ming Na Wen uh, was going to have a role on the show. Have you seen what they do with her? Yes, she is reprising her role as Fennec Shand from The Mandalorian, but this is before pre Mandalorian. So yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to see her in this role because her character's motivations are very mysterious right now, um, and some of them ha- were revealed in a recent episode, at least the financial reasons, but. Um, we're still trying to figure her out, so which is really cool. And of course, you know, Wen is awesome in the role. You know, she was great in the Mandalorian the first every, every time we've seen her. So it's just a, a continuation of that, but pre Mando, pre being part robot. Awesome. Well, I uh, I don't know if I'm ever gonna check that out, but I'm glad that you guys are enjoying it. <laughs> Josh, <laughs> I know that you started watching it. Are you still keeping up with it? I have not actually watched it yet. I've been meaning to, just it, it hasn't, oh. uh, I haven't had a chance to. But I, I do have a question for you, Bill, because um, I know you, you mentioned that um, Fennec Shan Sand? Fennec Shan. Fennec Shan, that she makes an appearance, um, but that it doesn't feel like it ties directly into or like you don't need information about previous series to enjoy it. No. Do you feel like there are a lot of characters popping up from the movies and from other things? Well, they do bring up one character from the sh- the cartoon who they explain in a very natural way because the child character who is new to everything is like, well, who's that? And they're like, oh, this is so-and-so. And th- this is who he is. And it's done. It's very exposition Jones, but it's also like done in a way. It's like you're explaining to a child. So you're explaining to people who haven't watched the show before. And Alex, to your point of you're like, I don't know if I'm going to check this out. I'm not a big animated series guy but like i was like i'll check it out and it took me, i was very surprised that it took me as much as it has even if it is star wars because i started clone wars and I, I looked through some rebels and i still haven't picked it back up but this one has kept my interest and uh yeah pretty good yeah i think like so i watched the whole first season of clone wars last summer and my intention is to eventually finish that show but you know it's not a high priority item so maybe once i finish that then i'll pick up the bad batch and see where these guys are going because the i know the end of clone wars was really good i know josh you really liked it a lot i know a lot of people really like it so i kind of like i'm motivated to get there but it's so many episodes so it's kind of like on the back burner for now um Things that are on the front burner for me, or at least were in the last month, are uh, two shows that I want to talk about very briefly. One is a show that I keep kind of beating the drum for here because I feel like it's underserved and overlooked, uh, but it's actually just really transformed itself in its second season into a really, really strong series, and 
that is, of course, uh, CW's Batwoman, which aired its finale this past month. Um, they basically, in their finale, just completely unshackled themselves from all of the stuff from season one that just wasn't working. So they they wrote out a couple of key characters. They uh, gave a, a soft reboot to another, and they really uh, firmly uh, established uh, the character of Ryan, um, who is the new Batwoman, um, introduced in the in the first episode of the second season, um, as the Batwoman that's here to stay. Um, but they did a really fun job of of integrating. Uh, Kate Kane, who was the original Batwoman, back into the series um, at towards the end of the show. Um, they gave her a new face. They had her come back from the dead. It was very soap opera-y. It was really fun. Um, they gave her amnesia and all that stuff. It's like, it's really kind of like, it's all the kind of, like, if you grew up watching soap operas, like I did, it really hit a lot of pleasure centers for me. Um, but it also, like, it, the show had this incredible ability to balance all of this sort of, like, campy soap opera stuff with these, like, really, um, like, relevant and powerful like explorations of like police brutality and racism and you would think there's like no world where all of that would fit into a show um about like a crazy alice in wonderland inspired villain um (laughs) and a and a and a perfume cosmetics uh executive who's running around in a mask but uh, it does it lands it amazingly like i I don't want to spoil things but i will say that to gray scott who uh was the uh, quasi police commissioner at the end of uh, at the beginning of this series, um, he was in charge of something called the Crows, which was this private police force that was ruling over Gotham because the Gotham police was inept. Um, and he was like ostensibly one of our heroes. Um, and I think in the second season they rightfully were like, hey, that is not really sustainable in today's uh, demographics and uh, culture. And so they really like deconstructed what that like institution was and, and um, really like brought it down and wrote him out of the show in a way that was really powerful at the end of the day. And, uh, and I'm just really surprised that they pulled that off. I think it's really incredible that they could talk about things like blackness and, police brutality and systemic racism and the foster care system and all of this stuff all of these like forgotten people and these people and and all of these issues that just on a show like this especially in the berlanti verse which is like the greg berlanti cw series um they always have like their heart in the right place um and they have always been uh like had a focus on uh diverse casts and things like that but there was always this aspect of like, okay, well, today we want to talk about this serious issue. So we're going to bring this supporting character into the fold and give them this spotlight where they could talk about their struggle. And our main character is going to learn about it. And then that'll be how the audience learns about it. And then like they, then that supporting character kind of like falls into the background again and just becomes a, a supporting character again. Um, and there's, there's obviously utility to that, but it's just so different when your main character is the one who is experiencing these things. And it allows the entire show to like warp around that and really explore it in a way that doesn't feel like a token um, sort of like message of the week issue. Um, and I think it's just remarkable that Batwoman pulled that off while also being unafraid to lean into so many like campy and soap opera uh, antics along the way. Like there's literally like 
a mysterious Roman-inspired island off the coast of a eastern U.S. city where people come back from the dead. Like, that's that's literally, like, straight out of, like, General Hospital or Days of Our Lives. But oh they God. managed to land that and this in a way that is just kind of, like, remarkable. And I think it's, like, one of the best comic book shows on television right now. So I really recommend people checking it out. Alex, I have a question for you. So yes. if, I, if I didn't watch Batwoman season one, would it matter if I started with season two? So it's a soft reboot. It's not a it's not a hard reboot. So there are they are connecting strands. They do kind of bring everything around. But the the point of view character is completely shifted to this brand new character. And so a lot of the beginning of the the second season is her reorient reorienting around this world. Um, and the character of Alice, who is uh, kind of Batwoman, the original Batwoman's kind of like evil twin sister who's ransacking Gotham, also gets a pretty significant um, reboot um, in this second season where like it turns out uh, she had a bunch of memories erased from her, which kind of destroyed her ability to empathize with people. And when she regains it, she kind of gets like a little bit, a lot more uh, multidimensional as the show progresses. And it really changes her character in a way that allows that character to be, to be sustainable over the long haul of the series, which I think was very smart. Um, so I think that, I mean, uh, an attentive viewer can definitely start in season two and just keep going and you'll be able to get all of the plot strands that you need to within the context of the show and a lot of the other stuff won't matter okay question i've got a question yes. i'm raising my hand because i have a question um, <laughs> um alex you mentioned that they gave an explanation for what happened to ruby rose's kate kane character yes. and that it sounds like it was very soap opery and in a way that was um, you know, that seemed to work for you. Do you feel like it was a satisfying conclusion giving all the tumultuous end of the season from last year? Yeah, it actually, like, by the end of it, like, they really land the plane in a way that I was very shocked that they could pull off. Like, literally land the plane? Because I remember that. Uh, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> technically, uh, Kate Kane's plane crashes at the start of season two. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, but yeah, no, figuratively they land the plane. Um, I feel like it's a satisfying end for that character. She actually gets to come back and go through some stuff. She's not played by Ruby Rose. She gets a different face, but like that weirdly is totally makes sense in universe because uh, something that people who haven't watched season one might not know is that Alice, the supervillain, uh, knows how to create face masks of other people so that way they can assume their identity. Um, by stealing faces off of other people and then re-sculpting it and putting it on your face and ma- and like stitching it on. It's like super gross and gnarly. Um, but yeah, so that's something that they could do. So it made recasting her pretty easy as a result. Um, and uh, and like she she plays a pivotal role in the second half of the season while never outshining the the character like our new main character. And I think she gets a really satisfying uh, resting place. I'll put. Um, not to imply that she's dead. I don't want to imply that. But just, like, in the sense that, like, they put her down and they could definitely pick her up in the future, but they don't necessarily need to. So, it's good. So, so she's dead. That's <laughs> No. She's, it's she's a, it's a soap opera. No one's ever dead. That's she's on the Roman <laughs> Island, a.k.a. Long Island, and she's going to come back. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the other show that I wanted to quickly mention was The Good Fight, which came back for its, I think, fifth season now. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. It's, like, a show that I fell in love with over the pandemic. I watched, like, all of the episodes. Um, they had to end their season early due to the pandemic. It kind of, like, cut out the last three or four episodes that they had planned for their season uh, because of the production shutdowns. Um, and so the way that they handle it in their first season, episode which is the only episode that has aired as of this recording is by doing one episode that covers the entirety of the year 2020 um it's called previously on and they kind of make it as if it's a previously on montage that just lasts the entire episode ending with the opening credits which is just a really fun flex um and uh yeah like they do like they keep like every time they come back from commercial they just reset as say like previously on the good fight um and then finally at the very end of the episode the the opening credits starts as if like now we can start our show um and it actually is like pretty insane because not only did they have to deal with uh, and for people who don't know this is a show it's a spinoff of the good wife it's technically a legal procedural but they're very political they're very involved in current events um as the good wife also was and uh so this show had to deal with all of the insanity that happened in 2020 um, from the election and the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the kind of crazy uh, weather events that happened and just like the the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all of it gets covered um, in a 48-minute episode of television. And they also find a way to elegantly write out two of the show's main characters who are no longer with the show. Um, they give them that episode and then that's it like so they appear in that episode but they won't appear moving forward so it's like a gargantuan task that these writers had to do and they somehow pull it off like in a breathtaking way where i felt like i had watched like a three hour long episode of television it felt like i really got a full season of the show condensed into one episode and i don't know how they did that it was kind of magical and i i encourage people who even haven't watched the show to check it out it's on paramount plus just watch that episode to see what they did it's it's really a remarkable time capsule of what we've all lived through and it's just a um like just a feat of insane like writing ability to just condense so much into one single episode now, who? What character was this spun off from The Good Wife? Um, it was spun off by uh, Christine Baranski was a co-star of The Good Wife, and she became the lead of The Good Fight. It's kind of like the original premise was that she uh, was about to retire, and then it turned out all of her money was like sucked into this like Ponzi scheme, like Madoff style. Um, and so she couldn't retire anymore. She had to go back to work, and no one would take her, so she has to work. So she uh works at a uh, an all-black law firm and so then it's like diane lockhart who is played by christine Vransky, like working in an all-black law firm um and what that would be like um and yeah so it's but it's very it's probably like the most political drama on television not that anybody knows because it's on paramount plus and nobody pays attention to it but it like really like they had they had arcs where like um a person who may or may not have been um uh, what's her face? Melania Trump uh, was trying to uh, like hire the firm to 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 sue for divorce. Like they had a whole episode last season uh, where they try to untangle the Jeffrey Epstein murder plot. Um, and like a whole like every episode has something. It's but it and that sounds like super kind of gimmicky, but they really land it by making it a, be about the emotional like 
center of these characters who really care about the world and so they integrate it in a in like a character forward way and uh and it like re- works remarkably well in a way that it really never should honestly because <laughs> like when you think like oh like a ripped from the headlines legal procedural on like produced yeah. for basically a network like that sounds like a disaster and it's not it's masterful <laughs> the kings just like are unbeatable and as far as i'm concerned they're also the people who are uh, behind evil which is a show that a lot of people really like right now um it was on uh cbs then it got popular once it went once the first season went to netflix and now the second season is on paramount plus um yeah that's with mike coulter as the lead it's basically like the x-files but with like um uh exorcisms instead (laughs) exorcism files yeah exactly um but anyway i've been talking too long uh that's the good fight check it out watch the 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 premiere of of the latest season on paramount plus even if you've never seen the show before it's really something to behold um and give that woman another chance uh the first season is all on um hbo max the second season is going to be there soon i don't know exactly when um but it's worth checking out uh give it a give it a chance skip season one if you want to you could you could definitely do that um and it'll it'll be an enjoyable ride all right Okay, now it's time for our news break segment. This is a segment where uh, every month we talk about one of the big stories in the world of television. Uh, there's a couple of things to choose from this month. It's kind of a little slow with like the start of summer and, and things winding down. Um, but I wanted to take a second to highlight this uh, article by Abby White from The Hollywood Reporter, uh, which we're going to link to in the show notes, um, all about how uh, Conan O'Brien had his last show as a late night host. Um, it feels like a real momentous occasion to me. Like, I know there's other late night hosts that still exist, but for me, uh, Conan leaving for a HBO Max variety sketch show uh, really feels like an end of an era in terms of late night. Um, I know his uh, his uh, relevancy has certainly waned since he moved to TBS, especially in the last, I think, like five years or so feels like uh, fewer and fewer of his clips go viral, Few pe- fewer people are talking about him. So I'm not shocked that this is this transition has come, but I don't know, maybe it's just because of when I grew up and and how I experienced him. But for me, he was really kind of like the, the last uh, guard of traditional late night comedy that was not like centered around bits that go viral on Twitter and things like that, but really just kind of like being goofy and silly on that, like late at night when no one is watching and, you know, making uh, interviews with people that they, he clearly doesn't care about uh, and trying to do that in an interesting way. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's kind of like that tradition of like David Letterman and like, you know, all of that stuff before him. And yeah, I'm just curious what you guys think about this kind of moment and as it's finally uh, passed us by. So, Bill, you are the senior statesman of this podcast. I'm curious how you feel about Conan leaving us. Yeah, it's Alex being nice saying I'm old as hell. Um, <laughs> now I'm going to prove it by saying this. I remember when my parents got the TV guide. Yes, they subscribed and got the TV guide. It was the fall wow. TV episode uh, issue. Which, for those who don't know, that was the big book that, that came out every one. year. And in the front was a glossy section with all the new TV shows. And I remember them doing, like, this character of Conan O'Brien because they're like, here's this kid from Harvard who used to write on The Simpsons and SNL. And he's going to he's gonna take over late. He's going to take over a late night spot. Let's 
let's see how this plays out. And I remember it was a very like, eh, we'll see with this guy because we we haven't barely ever seen him on camera. And um, I, I still remember that. And I'm just like, so he's been this tradition forever. But this send off, like this finale has been like to me, I just didn't even register to me, like even the impact of him not being on TV until today when I was thinking about this article didn't even hit me because it's been like this weird transition for him. Like they cut down the like this used to be Conan on, on TBS used to be multiple nights a week and then they cut it down and then it was like a travelogue type thing and they changed the format. Everything seemed to be changing like this. This end of Conan on TV seems to have been slowly marching forward. And Alex, you're right. Like while his TV show might not be what it once was, he's kind of transitioned greatly into the podcast world where he's like his Conan O'Brien needs a friend show or like his other podcasts do very well. And that's where you see the clips from. And that's where you see his interview with W. Kamau Bell uh, probably about a year ago was not from Conan. It was from, I believe it was from the podcast. And that's where his stuff is coming from. His stuff with Bruce, his stuff with uh, Pro Wrestler Danhausen, which became like this thing only I would understand. But it, it was like a weird, big inter- viral thing. It's like, that's where his stuff is being, like where his show is like, he started doing the stuff where Conan goes, he travels around the world. And it seemed like the show became less and less. And his, his goodbye was kind of like, to me, it was like, well, he's just going to HBO Max, so it's not like he's going off TV. It's not going off, but I didn't realize he's off actual TV for the first time since in it forever because he's always been involved with it, with whether it's SNL, Simpsons, Conan. Like, it's just not like the impact wasn't there for me, and it's kind of weird. Like, it feels like that was a thing TV people celebrated, like the article said, but for everyone else, it didn't feel like this big cultural moment, and I think it really should have been because. Conan is responsible for so many of them, whether it's the dancing Edos and the, the masturbating bear and um, and the Paul Rudd Mac and me clips like all that stuff was huge. The, but at the, the end Arnold of the day, Schwarzenegger face that would pop down the Walker, Texas Ranger lever, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and um, by the way, you any, could forget the nipple dance. Exactly. And, and <laughs> like. But it, 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 he ended on so, he left TV with such a just a meh note. It seems like to me, it just seems like it's just like this thing. And he'll be like, we'll see him in two weeks on HBO Max or something. I know it's not two weeks, but that's the feeling I got. It didn't feel like this monumental thing to me, and that's sad because it's like Conan mean has meant a lot to pop culture throughout the last almost thirty years. Yeah, I'm going to go to Josh in a second, but I just like the way that you're talking about it, it really it almost feels like he was like a shooting star that just slowly faded away. Um, in or, a at least for TV, because like I said, his podcasting still seems very popular and he's still there's still stuff coming out of that. But in TV, like he was just a big thing for a minute. And then he just like you said, shooting star just kind of faded out and now on to whatever the next thing's going to be. But who knows? So, Josh. How do you feel about this occasion, which uh, Bill suggests is not as momentous as maybe I thought it was? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it is, but it didn't have the, the impact yes. I think it should have, you know? Yes. Bill wanted, like, the grand finale with the, the firework display. It's, it's more like when Jay Leno left the second time than the first time, is what you're saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, it kind of is because it was like we kept hearing about the end of Conan and then there was less shows and it changed and it was less and le- it kept like diminishing and to the point where like, okay, when is it? I already thought it had ended, you know, type of deal. Like, I think a lot of people, they're like, wait, Conan finally ended? Like, I thought this was done a few years ago, like, or a few months ago. You know, I feel like it just went out because they had diminished it so much. If he was still going like three, four days a week and then it was like, all right, guys, this is my final show. I think it would have been a bigger impact or it would have been a bigger, it would have been a bigger moment instead of we all knew he was going to ride it out. Everything was getting less. He's going to HBO Max. We know exactly where he's going. It wasn't like, oh, God, he's going off the air. What's going to happen to him? Like, what's going to be what's going to become of Conan? Like the first time we're like, we don't know where Conan's going to go. Then it announced he was going to TBS. It was like, we know exactly where he's going. So it's like, all right, the TV show that wasn't as popular as it once was, is done now. Okay, he's going to go back. He's still doing his podcast. He's going to HBO Max. We know where he's going. Josh, what do you think? Um, I, I feel like I'm coming at this from a very different perspective. One, because um, I was one year old when he became a late night host. So uh, he, he's been on late night for pretty much my entire life. I mean, um, me too, Josh. Let's, you don't need to, you know, you're okay. not the baby of this episode. Okay, let's, let's keep all the, this <laughs> feeling of being old on Bill. Bill, you're old. Bill, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> no, tradition. We have to, Bill. Um, Every podcast. It's a reminder of my mortality. <laughs> so I, I oh, guess I have longevity, that. which is a compliment. Mm-hmm, there you go. The right yeah. way to look at it, not my <laughs> way. <laughs> no, I, I guess because of that, I take Conan for granted. Like, I'm not particularly into late night talk shows. Um, there's been phases when I've been like interested in like the Colbert report and the daily show and um, John Oliver's work, but I've never really got into like any of the the big ones on the main cable channel. So I've not really been exposed to this, but just knowing that he's been there as a, as a presence, I think is ridiculous for him to have been around for so long. But I, I think for me, what what I, I almost think of him as like a tragic figure, and just knowing how his run on the Tonight Show like burned out so quickly, just because of Jay Leno and you know the forces at NBC not giving him the space he needed, and so even though he's got this longevity to him, like I, I feel like there's always going to be this asterisk of he made it to like the biggest stage and then he got pushed off. And I, I think that's, that's sad because even though I'm not, I don't consider myself a, a fan of his, he's done some really, you know, notable work and really touched a lot of people. So yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of bittersweet. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, just a little bit more background for me on Conan. He's a guy who, again, like I wasn't around really watching late night TV when he first got his start. Um, but weirdly, like he around like in the in the mid 2000s, they started syndicating his show on Comedy Central. And I used to like watch it at like five at night, um, just sure. like in reruns. Um, and that's how I really got to know him as a person, like and as a show. And it was like really like bizarre and not what i expected from a late night show because i thought like oh late night is just like you know like they come in do interviews and then like a band plays and that's the end of it and like maybe there and there's like an opening monologue where people tell jokes but his energy was just so different from that like he was just like i mean he definitely loved 
cringe comedy in a way that I don't always like, but he would kind of like relish in it in like a weird self-hatred way that like was impossible to look away from. Whereas <laughs> like he like he hated himself but he wanted to make you hate him too in a way that was weirdly endearing. I don't know. Um and then he would also be like super silly, like the year two thousand bits, like Andy Richter, I loved him. He was so funny. Um, I remember, like, being really invested when he got his show on Fox as, like, when I was, like, 11. It was, like, Andy Richter controls the universe. It was like, he's got to, we got to watch this. It was like, you know, it's probably the only 11-year-old who cared. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it was, like, a really, um, and and then, so, like, that was where he, like, that's how I, like, developed an affection for him. Um, And then, like, in, I guess, I think it was in college when all that crazy stuff happened, where he got the Tonight Show taken away from him, but, like, all of that was going on, being negotiated in public while he was still airing his shows every week, like, every day. Like, he, they, the, for people who don't know, like, what happened basically was that uh, Conan O'Brien was the host of, like, the 1230, TV, like, uh, late night show on, on NBC, and he was getting a lot of press and a lot of popularity and people were saying like you know he's ready to take on like the 11:30 show which is like the prime show for late night at least at that point in time and nbc had jay leno hosting the tonight show and that was an incredibly popular show but they didn't want to lose conan and so like you know instead of conan going and starting a franchise on fox or on abc uh he they came up with this arrangement where they were like okay in five years Jay Leno is going to retire and then you're going to get to host the Tonight Show. And he had like an incredible, like uh, Conan had an incredible kind of respect for the lineage of the Tonight Show, which is kind of like the prestige, especially at that point, the prestige uh, late night show on television. And so that really to be able to host that show, the host, the show that Johnny Carson once hosted, like that really meant a lot to him and so he said okay i'll stay in my time slot for five years and then i'll take over like i'll do that so that way i can host the show and they said okay great and then then they did it and then they were like oh you know what we actually like turns out jay leno is still really popular we thought for some reason that everyone would hate him in five years i guess like i don't know what they were thinking but (laughs) so they were like so we're not gonna get rid of him what we're gonna do is we're gonna put we're gonna give him a nightly show at 10 o'clock then we're gonna have him throw to the news and then he'll and then you'll get to host the tonight show and uh that was weird and it didn't work because uh nobody watched their like the show at 10 o'clock compared to what like primetime ratings were so then the ratings for the tonight show was much lower and then everybody was like well conan can't host the tonight show he's getting bad ratings uh and so then the nbc executives panicked and they said okay well we have a solution we're gonna we're gonna move jay's show uh into the tonight show slot but we're gonna still call the tonight show the tonight show but we're gonna have it air when the late night show used to air and then we're gonna make uh, Jimmy Fallon host his show at like two in the morning for some reason. Um, and Conan was like, no, that's crazy. We're not going to do that. But while they were doing this, they were still letting Conan host the tonight show every night. So he was doing these like monologues all about how he was getting fucked over by NBC while they were fucking him over. And it was totally insane and surreal. And all the other late night hosts were like, Conan like is getting a raw deal from NBC. And it was just like the uh, an incredible disaster from a PR perspective. And it really made him, as Josh said, like a really endearing figure in the, in the culture. And so he left and Jay Leno came back to the Tonight Show. Conan like 
uh, spent a couple months just like sitting out and just, like trying to find the right home. He settled on on TBS and then he hosted uh, his version of the late night show for TBS for like 10 years, I guess. Um, yeah. And and yeah. And so that's kind of that's kind of the story of Conan and why I had like this really strong attachment to him, even though I didn't necessarily always watch a show. And I certainly haven't in a long time. Um, and yeah, I guess after all of that, it, it feels, I agree, Bill, it feels weird that he just kind of is going to fade into a streaming uh, show like the rest of the world. You know, it's like him and it's like Meghan and Harry and the Obamas, they all get a streaming show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so it's, I don't know, it's it's a it's a weird and complicated lineage and career that, that Conan has had. But uh, yeah, it's, it's wild that he's been on TV since... Uh, since the early 90s you know i think he's i think he's hosted a late night show longer than johnny carson did so that's pretty pretty insane like johnny carson got 29 seasons out of the tonight show and uh yeah. from 1963 to 1992 um and yeah i i think that uh i think conan beats him which is kind of crazy if not he just comes up short but yeah it's- yeah it's we don't really, I, I think that, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, like when Conan, uh, 30 years from now, when Conan's no longer with us, I think we're going to like re-evaluate his legacy and like really th- realize that like this, him leaving is really like a, a changing of the guard in a meaningful way. Because right now, late night shows, especially the network shows, are all just like, what crazy goofy thing can we make a celebrity do that we can just put in a 15 second clip on Twitter and like have it go viral? And like, that's what it is. And like, that's fine. That's working for them, but that's just completely not what late night was for a really long time. And I feel like Conan is sort of like the last, the last one and he's gone now. So, you know, pour a glass for, for the end of an era. I will right now. (laughs) Any final (laughs) thoughts, Josh, do you appreciate my soliloquy on the importance of Conan (laughs) O'Brien? Oh, it was beautiful. I just, I'm, I'm weeping over here. Um, no, I, I, I like how you, you didn't want to um, drop any f bombs when we're talking about a show that has it in the title. But as soon as you start talking about Conan leaving late night, it's like that's it. All bets are off. Yeah, I couldn't resist. Like fuck it, here we go. No, I, Alex, so what you said is absolutely, and that's that's the shame of it all for me. It's just like Conan growing up for me being obviously the joke is I'm older than everybody, but it's true. When I was growing up, like the, like through high school and into college, like Conan is where people of that age group went. Like that whole postmodern love people who love that postmodern cringe humor. Like that's where we lived. We would park our, you know, watching the reruns of Conan on Comedy Central. We watch it on NBC, like, or we try, you know, get our dial-up modems and watch it on, find a place to watch it on the NBC.com web, you know, website. You know what I mean? Like we really. Like he was, he was our guy. He was like our gateway to so much, to comedy, and he gave so many comedians so many, uh, like so much. Like just look at the laundry list of people who have written for him. Some of whom I will not name. Is like, is like of people he's given a shot to, and just like stuff he did was so. That's the he really was the Johnny Carson for this age group, my age group, really because. When you talk to people who are older, they're like, well, Johnny Carson, like my in-laws, they'll be like, well, Johnny Carson, this person was on or this moment. That's Conan O'Brien for us. It wasn't Letterman or 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 Jay Leno. It was Conan. He's the one who spoke to us in our 20s and 30s, much like 
Carson spoke to so many people in their 20s and 30s. It's just the ending was not fitting the legendary status of the man because he is a legendary television personality. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, like, Letterman was definitely that guy for people who were, like, young in the 80s and, like, the early 90s. Like, that was kind of when he was at his peak. But, like, when I was, you know, coming into awareness of late night, like, Letterman was, like, over it. You know, he would, it would be, like, every, like, four or five years, he'd get, like, one interview where people would be like, hey, he's, he actually cares about this one. But otherwise, it would always, he was just done. And, like, Leno was just, you know, I mean, he was always very popular, but he was never very cool. I'll say that much. (laughs) I was like, hey guys, you see about this? You hear about this? You know, uh, headlines, you know, so. Um, <laughs> yes. So yeah, Conan was the guy for that whole time, you know, um, for like 20 years. And now he's gone. I mean, he's not gone. He's He'll be around. But there's just something different about about going, like retreating to a streaming project. It just, it feels kind of like less impactful, I guess. And also I kind of think about like, remember when, uh, John Stewart left The Daily Show and was like, but don't worry, I'm going to do this whole show for HBO. And that, like, never happened. Like, literally didn't happen. Um, and so, like, you never really know with development deals. I'm sh- I'm sure probably this will air at least a season, but, like, who knows when we'll see it or if it'll be any good and how much of a role Conan will really even have in it. Like, we, you know, that's all to come. But, uh, but yeah, in, in this moment, uh, we have to say goodbye to a legend. Uh, speaking of legends, uh, who reached legendary status this month in the streaming wars, you guys? Oh, <laughs> oh that was a good one. I love it. <laughs> uh, Josh, let's start with you. Uh, of course, we talk every month about the ins and outs of streaming wars. Which streamer had the best month in terms of new shows and movies released and best press releases that dominated the headlines? So, Josh, who you got? Ooh. This one took me a little time to figure out, um, but then it, it kind of became pretty clear that it has to be Disney Plus for me. Um, yeah. yeah, just with right before we started recording, just hearing you both talk about uh, Luca, and I've heard so much great word of mouth from uh, about that movie, um, and then thinking of my own experiences on uh, Disney Plus recently. So I, I finally got a chance to watch Raya and the Last Dragon. Loved yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Totally like sobbed my my eyes out. It was it was Aww. an ugly cry, but it was good. Um, so love that. Um, been watching Loki, and on top of that, um, it's probably not going to get as much um, airtime on Disney Plus as it would have a few months ago. But Black Widow's coming out um, on in theaters and on Disney Plus later this week. Yeah. So that's a, a huge get for what I think is probably the movie of the summer um so i uh you know i think disney plus is really killing it right now yeah i have to i'm gonna jump in here and say that i agree with you it feels like a really lazy and boring choice but like it's undeniable this month that it's disney plus like just running through we have loki which has been dominating the conversation right we have uh luca which has been dominating the conversation raya the last dragon of course that kind of came to disney plus in march but in june it came to disney plus for people who weren't paying $30 a month for it. So that's totally relevant to bring up. Luca, of course, a new Pixar movie, made me sob, made me cry. As as right. friend of the show, uh, Matt Taylor said, uh, made him cry big gay tears. Me too. Um, and uh, also, like, Mysterious Benedict Society is a show that exists and people, I think, may be watching. <laughs> um, 
And, uh, of course, this coming week, as you said, Black Widow is coming uh, through Premiere Access. And also Monsters at Work, which is the Monsters, Inc. sequel yep. series. Kind of, It feels like they're just kind of, like, slipping that in there. That's sort of a big deal. Um, that's, like, a huge, like, successful not if, franchise. Not if you watch children's programming. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. YouTube, you name it, dude. I'll be yeah. reviewing it on the site. Disney knows how to sell their stuff to small children, that's for sure. <laughs> Anytime I'm ever talking to my nieces and nephew, and I'm just like, hey, have you ever heard of this? They're like, yeah, it's on every commercial all day long. <laughs> like, okay, cool. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, High School Musical, the musical, the series, is currently airing, starring, like, the most popular yeah. pop star in the world, Olivia Rodrigo. Well, so, I always make sure to get her photo the cover picture for the site i try everything <laughs> because it's popular yeah yeah absolutely nobody's bigger than her right now she's the new taylor swift and she's just starring in this silly little uh cute uh tv show for 30 minutes a week on disney plus so yeah i i it's just like impossible to to deny that they're having just like the biggest uh the biggest month um bill do you agree yeah, I'm going to pick up a couple other points. Um, they decided they're going to dominate Wednesdays now because sure. they decided to move all their releases to Wednesdays, With it's starting with Loki. It's a smart move now that theaters are opening back up and they're going to be having movies on Premier Access. They And now the world is reopening. Like People are going to be going out, so they don't want to miss out on any of those views on a Friday. So And it's also smart because Netflix tends to drop a lot of uh, big stuff on Fridays. Prime is dropping big stuff on Fridays, so why not own the middle of the week and dominate the conversation for a few more days and also not interfere with your big releases? It's It was a brilliant move, and you know they had Fridays locked up, but now it's Wednesday. I think it's great. They also announced, um, maybe I'm the only one excited for the next two things, but we'll find out. The Rock is producing a new uh, produced a new series called Behind the Attraction, which is a new documentary series, which is getting a lot of buzz about you know just the behind the scenes of you know certain rides and history of them. Which was uh, the Imagineering story is a really popular documentary series that launched on uh, Disney Plus. So that's like there, and The Rock's going to star in Jungle Cruise, which is coming at the end of the month. And I'm probably the only one who's excited for that, but I'm going to probably pay for it. Watch that. I don't think Jungle Cruise is going to be Premier Access, though. Yeah. I, it is? Well, it was supposed to be, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that that... Okay. I know Shang-Chi, they've said it won't be Premier Access. So uh, maybe that's the dividing line. Maybe they, September. They were really... It, it changed because at one point it was going to be free. And like, they keep... I think there's some... There might be... I might be wrong on it. But, like, it's coming to Disney Plus regardless whether you pay for it or not. And that's going to be a really big fun movie that maybe only bill's interested in but like i i think it's going to be a lot of fun so and then they dropped the new uh trailer for that star wars anime anthology which is going to air in september which yeah really good and i convinced my niece who's not a big star wars fan i'm like hey watch this and she's like to quote a 13 year old she's like slaps bro and i'm like Cool. I'm glad we had this conversation. So it does. It certainly slaps. I it was very big on Twitter um, when that trailer dropped. So there was a big kind of like annoying controversy of like, well, should these count as canon or should they not count as canon? And we everybody needs to calm down about what's canon, what's not canon. You guys, I mean, come on. 
the 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 Agents of Shield subreddit is having a civil war right now because James Gunn on Twitter said that Agents of Shield isn't canon. So everybody needs to calm down. Uh, I'm not lying. I really am not lying. And I feel like there's something else that Disney just announced they're going to do more. Oh, and, and earlier they were doing a Muppets Halloween thing, which is which I'm yep. sure would be so much fun because I love two things I love is Muppets and Halloween. So that'd be yeah, great. I mean Disney has really struggled to produce quality right. Muppet content, but you know, well, fingers crossed. No, that, that Muppets Now was was pretty was was solid. It was better than that ABC. Shit, I'll tell you that. I mean, sure, if that's the bar we're going <laughs> with. Bar, I know, it's a low <laughs> uh, two, two things to add. Jungle Cruise is going to be Premier Access on Disney+. Plus. Okay. And but there two, wasn't. Mm, um, two, Alex, you're totally right that Twitter, or Nerd Twitter is all about uh, canon controversy right now. With the whole, was it the Suicide Squad trailer with... Um, Idris Elba's character shooting Superman. I know that blew up into a big controversy. Oh yeah, like, yeah. So people excited. were mad, and I then got- it, and then people were like, actually, in the comics, that character literally does do that. So people need to stop I using did, it. Comic books, and I know that. Like, yeah. Like, but also HBO Max was a close second for me. I have to say, like, because I did like, you know, they did have some big releases. That trailer for the Many Saints of Newark looks really good, and I'm not a Sopranos fan myself, but. So HBO Max, I have to say, was a close second. I can't believe that Billy Magnuson is going to be playing Polly Walnuts in that movie. That is so fantastic. I love every second of that cast. <laughs> I mean, he's going to do a great job, but like, what a what a glow up for our guy Polly Walnuts. <laughs> oh. Polly Walnuts. I just watched Goodfellas the other day again, and Polly Walnuts is in it. I'm like, he's the same. I think he's the same age as that actor Billy Magnuson now uh-huh. as Polly Walnuts and Goodfellas. It, it's, it is the definition of a glow up, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we all wish that we could. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. So, yeah, I, I, HBO Max had a good month. Um, they, like, they've really been making the most of their uh, theater kind of dual release strategy. Like, they've been releasing a lot of big movies through that. So that's certainly in their hat. Um, of course, you know, the In the Heights thing is like a whole thing that if you want to hear more about, you can listen to this week's episode of Cinema Joes, where we talk about that um, in a great deal of depth. But also Netflix, you know, I mean, they certainly made a lot a lot of waves with their Sexy Beasts um, dating show where oh, um, <laughs> they dress people in, in animal Gosh. prosthetics <laughs> so they could go on blind dates. Yeah, explain this to Josh because he, he looks like he looks, oh yeah yeah looks, Josh can you do me a favor and just quickly um look up Sex, sexy beasts Netflix that, and just because you have to see it there's no amount of explanation that'll do it justice I, I don't know if I want this in my search history guys no it's, it, if you type in Netflix afterwards you'll be fine you, um, know, you definitely <laughs> won't be fine you will no, no, be no, no, on no. a list what the but... Google <laughs> search <laughs> So imagine yeah. the mass singer went to Match.com, and that's what happens. Oh, please, uh, Bill, that is just like that's like the PG version of what this show is. Um, this show is so much more disturbing than that. <laughs> oh, I can't unsee it now. Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah. Let's like, say if it has to live in my brain, it should live in your brain too. Um, okay. Listeners, don't don't check it out. Um, but that definitely made a lot of headlines. Also, Sweet Tooth. A lot of people watched yeah. Sweet Tooth. That was a pretty big show this okay. month. 
we talked about it. Uh, goodbye to all that. Um, now newly hosted by Michael T. Ford III, um, taking over for me, which was uh, very exciting. Uh, he talked about it with uh, Marvel News Desk's um, uh, Rhiannon uh, Kincaid. So that was really awesome. Uh, if you guys are interested, that episode went up yesterday. So you can check that out in this same feed. Um, yeah, I feel like everyone was talking about Sweet Tooth for like a solid week or two before it kind of got like sucked up by Loki discourse. Absolutely, man. And so. yeah, them and their criminal minds, you know, rewatches that get like ten bazillion <laughs> a, a month. Yeah, and also Bo Burnham inside, Huge. maybe the best film of the year it was on Netflix this past month. I can't bring myself to watch it. Uh, I think you should because it's like remar- I mean, some of the stuff you might not relate to because you know he turns thirty during the course of this episode, this movie. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, it's more of the joke. I don't care if people are young. I know people are going to be younger than me at some point. At some <laughs> but, point. Uh, but yeah, I think that you would uh, relate to a lot of the stuff that this guy goes I, through on this. I should watch it. <laughs> it's uh, it's he's, he's a, the it's best a, time capsule. He's like, but don't watch it. <laughs> it's the best time capsule for 2020 that I've that I've encountered. It's really remarkable. It's like, I don't know how he got so far inside of my head, but he did, and he put it on screen, and it was really kind of um, upsetting and also hilarious and also disturbing and also really funny. Um, I said that twice two different ways because you have to. <laughs> you have to. That's the thing. I'm just like, I am just like I don't need a reminder of a really bad year. Oh, but the songs are so funny. Like, there's a song about white women's Instagram um, where he just ta- says a bunch of stuff that would be on a white woman's Instagram, um, and that's really funny. Um, there's a song that goes, uh, that's about the internet that goes, how about a little bit of everything all of the time, just a little bit of everything all of the time, apathy's a tragedy and boredom's a crime, how about a little bit of everything all of the time? Alex had a, the voice of an angel. Yeah, that was lovely. <laughs> well, it was about time that I sing, um, on the show. <laughs> I think I've done it enough. I think I sing yeah. Now it's Josh's turn. But anyway, that was a pretty big deal for Netflix also. Um, but yeah, it's it's got to be it's got to be Disney Plus. They just, you know, I think we're biased a little bit at this point on this network. But uh, but, you know, it's hard to beat Olivia Rodrigo and Tom Hiddleston and Tony Hale all in one place. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny how it's just like it's just like Disney just keeps finding ways to just hit like for everyone. And it always finds a, like Netflix gets millions upon millions of streams every month but it's like always disney plus is dominating our thoughts yeah i saw i saw a thing where it was like how like it charted like discussion and retention over over months um with streaming services and netflix was literally rated last in terms of like the ability to remember something that happened on netflix like two months ago (laughs) because it just like it comes and everybody watches it and then everybody forgets about it which is kind of a bummer or it's Um, like you see an ad for it once and then never again yeah like remember when chris hemsworth was in a in a netflix action film no or when michael bay made an action film for netflix I did. So I did. I do remember that because I was at our managing editor editor's house. He's like, hey, remember that big Michael Bay movie? Let me show you my really big TV and sound system. And he put that on. I'm like, God, I forgot this movie existed. Watch the scene. I'm like, I never want to see this movie. (laughs) But what was the Chris Hemsworth one again? That was called Extraction. Extraction? Yeah. I think your brother reviewed that. Yeah. Aaron reviewed it. I think the Russo brothers produced it. That's it. Uh Uh-huh. 
they did a they did a, an A plus job. <laughs> also, Netflix had like that Chris Evans movie, The Red Sea Resort, I think, or something like that. Uh, where it was like, <laughs> like they have huge stars. They get you to watch five minutes of it, and then you're like, oh, this kind of stinks. I'm gonna turn it off, and then and then they win. So you know. Mark Wahlberg had the Spencer movie, which was yeah like, that they claimed like 300 million people watched, which is like all right, whatever. <laughs> based off a TV show too, and that from the yeah. 80s, only I remember, it's like come on guys. And apparently, yeah, Mark Wahlberg so, also has a Paramount Plus movie. I just saw. A oh well, mm-hmm. he has a movie that premiered on Paramount Plus, which he was very upset to find out that it that happened because they did not consult with him ahead of time, and they announced it to the press before they told him and the director Antoine Fuqua, and they are kind of both really powerful people in Hollywood, so that was pretty dumb. But you know, they got to do something to sell the network, and I guess Good Fight isn't doing it for everybody. <laughs> But they're, the Kings are make it worthwhile for in my book. But anyway, uh, speaking of other TV shows, that's the worst seg- segue of the episode. Um, <laughs> it's time for our new series spotlight, where every week we talk about one brand new show uh, premiering this month. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about a show from AMC and AMC Plus uh, called Kevin Can Fuck Himself. That's right, I said it because I already had to check the box anyway, so why not? Uh, this show is created by Valerie Arm. Armstrong, who was a writer on SEAL Team 6 and Lodge 49, uh, shockingly, um, would not be what you'd expect. <laughs> well, um, the second one made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> listen, you got to get paid, right? Um, also, uh, it stars Annie Murray, uh, Annie, Annie Murphy. I always want to call her Annie Murray, but no, that is a different person. Famed Canadian singer. Yeah, and then I think, wait, do I mean Annie Lennox? And it's just like a whole thing that happens in my head. Um, by Rashida Jones, too. <laughs> yeah, but so Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek, uh, who uh, is, was very funny on that show, um, also co-starring Eric Peterson, whose uh, most famous credit is being uh, Shrek in Shrek the Musical, um, Mary Hollis in Bowden uh, from The Righteous Gemstones, and uh, Raymond Lee, uh, most recently from Made for Love, a show that we also reviewed here a couple months ago. Uh, this show... Uh, it's kind of complicated to talk about. It weirdly has parallels to WandaVision, of all things. Um, it's basically a show where a, uh, like, a woman in her mid-30s, uh, is kind of processing her depression through, uh, classic sitcom fantasies, uh, much like WandaVision. Um, but in a very different way, uh, because it turns out in this world, uh, Annie Murphy's character uh, truly hates her husband and wishes he would just die. Um, And so every time that she sees him, uh, she imagines herself on a uh, kind of a low-rent sitcom from like 2004 that probably aired on CBS um, following uh, (laughs) following, uh, King of Queens and Still Standing. Um, It's kind of that vibe. Uh, and it is shot like a, a, a sitcom of that era. It has the same kind of jokes, and uh, it is she is slotted into the put-upon-wife uh, role. But then every time she, her husband walks away from her and out of the scene, uh, we get transported into what her real life is, which is a sad prestige drama uh, where she is really depressed and kind of, like, uh, losing it a little bit. Um, 
and as I said, really hates her husband. Uh, this show kind of comes from a really interesting origin. Uh, the the basic idea that Valerie Armstrong pitched and that Annie Murphy apparently really loved was the idea of like we see these types of female characters on TV all the time, but we are so like whoever makes these shows is always so uninterested in exploring what that woman's life is actually like. So what if we did that? What if we walked when she walks off? like out of the room like she walks out of the sitcom and it becomes a like a show actually contemplating what it would be like to live with this nightmare every day um and it kind of like it goes from there the name kevin can fuck himself i'm curious if either of you guys know what it is a reference to because it's a pretty great one i don't I okay don't. josh do you want to explain it to our listeners and bill uh, yeah, so it's a reference to a 2016 CBS sitcom, Kevin Can Wait, um, oh. featuring Kevin James. Yes. And the thing that that show is most famous for is that it um, killed off the character who, uh, his his wife, from the first season. Just Played so they by Aaron Hayes, who's like a yes. very, very funny actress who's like 30 years younger than Kevin James. And uh, most people would know from like uh, Children's Hospital on Adult Swim. That's probably her most famous role. She's really funny on that. Yes. So they very uh, unceremoniously killed her off off screen just so that they could um, basically replace her with another character um, played by uh, Leah Remini. Leah yeah, Thank basically, you. yeah, because basically, like, after the first season of that show aired, Leah Remini, who was Kevin James's wife on King of Queens, uh, kind of, like, really exploded um, after, uh, like, uh, calling out Scientology and having that whole show where she really stands up for the victims of Scientology and, like, goes to war with them, uh, with Scientology, rather. Um, and so she became, like, very, very popular and, uh, you know, buzzy again. And so the producers were like, hey, let's let's get her come, to come back. We could do a reunion. And they're like, yeah, but we have this other actress who already plays his wife. Like, And they were like, whatever, we're just going to kill her. Like, nobody cares. <laughs> ratings for that show were not as what they expected either. They, expected they were not, yeah. The ratings weren't strong. And the writer, like, Kevin James, apparently in an interview, claimed that they just couldn't think of anything to do with the character. And that's why they killed her off. Uh, off screen which is really really crappy um but yeah so this is kind of like a uh an answer to that um where uh, instead of prioritizing the buffoonish husband you actually uh you actually have to think about what the woman's life is like and you know we talk because of that framing i think people keep referring to king of queens a lot and i will say i think that's a little unfair to king of queens because king of queens if you watched it like it's definitely like the Kevin James character is very similar to the character here who is Kevin also. But I do think that the Leah Remini character gets a lot to do over the course of that show and is not just a put upon wife. Like she has a real personality. They have a real relationship. And like her dad is played by uh, Jerry Stiller. And that's a really fun dynamic that really has nothing to do with Kevin. And, and so like she is over the course of that show, a real character, but the show as a whole is really pointing to a real thing that is true about a lot of put upon sitcom wives where it's just like, you know, we indulge the silly man at the center and don't really think that much about what it would be like to be married to that person. <laughs> I agree. Thank you for making the fair point. Cause that is very true. The Leah Remedy character did have, there was a lot to that character. It wasn't just. Yeah. A thing. So Josh, now that we um, understand the context of the show, the premise of the show, 
how did the actual show work for you? Now, we're, we're talking about this. Four episodes have aired. Um, if you, or right, three episodes have aired, and if you uh, subscribe to AMC Plus, you can watch the fourth now, because AMC Plus is kind of a week ahead of AMC. That's the way they're trying to get people to sign up for their streaming service, which is a, an odd system that I don't really get, but whatever. <laughs> so, Josh, uh, how many episodes of this have you seen so far? I only had time to watch the first. Okay, and Bill, you also have only watched one. I'm up to date on all of the ones that have aired, but I will try to keep it um, restricted to uh, mostly in the first episode for people who haven't maybe checked it out yet as well. So based on the first episode, Josh, do you think that this high concept uh, premise actually was a good television show? I do. I, I will admit I was coming in not very hopeful. Um, my first thought was, Alex is making us watch another dark comedy. I feel like it's all we watch for these. Um, no but, worry. <laughs> we got some other ones coming up. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, no I, I, I like that you mentioned um, that it parallels WandaVision in some ways. Because I think that was my first thought of like, wow, this is taking the sitcom genre to task in a similar way. But just instead of paying um, like homage or using it as pastiche, it is like, eviscerating it um, in a way <laughs> yeah. that I find so refreshing because I'm, I'm not a, a big sitcom person, but I especially find like actors like Kevin James to be so irritating. I know we've talked on this podcast before and um, Bill, when you were on um, my podcast with Aaron, when we talked about dinosaurs and we talked about how <laughs> we hate the, uh, the, the husband is a terrible person to his wife kind of sitcoms don't worry i'll go more into that trust me i mean this this really takes those and it says yeah you're right that is messed up let's talk about all the reasons why it is um but also get you a sense of what it would be like for um someone to be living in that world you know when they're not having all those laugh tracks and um you know weird put upon situations come up to mask that this would be horrifying and Annie Murphy, I, I've only seen one season of Schitt's Creek. Uh, I thought she was good in it, but she wasn't the, the standout. In this, I think she's phenomenal. I think she absolutely kills it. Um, like whether it's in the more like sitcommy sequences, like you can tell like there's an edge underneath her the whole time as there's this, like this discomfort while she's still playing the humor. And then when it goes to those um, those darker scenes, like going through like what it's like for her. That's just, it's brutal. And so I, it, it's not exactly a uh, a fun watch when you consider like what it's like for that character. But I, it's, in, in terms of dark comedy, it's so effective. Yeah, Bill, I feel like you have a lot to say. So I'm just going to tee you up and let you go. <laughs> I hate with like every fiber of my being. I hate the, the, what was once dubbed the fat guy hot wife genre of television but also just the uh i'm married and my wife wants to spend time with me let me get let me do all these stupid things to get out of it to hang with the guys drink beer and watch football and i just sit there and i'm just like i hate every fucking second of this like i just really do shows like everybody loves raymond the worst show (laughs) i Anyone puts that on, I want to burn myself alive. I hate that show so much. King of Queens, I've seen it 7,000 times because my father-in-law is obsessed with it. Um, 
it's not good. And like, there's so <laughs> many other shows that really fill this, and it's just it, it is just painful to get through. So when I saw this trailer, I'm like, hi, you wrote the show for me. Thank you so much. I appreciate you so hard. <laughs> and like, I it's. It's one of those shows to me. I want to go back and watch that first episode again because, like, we like especially when we're seeing her in the sitcom, and you're like, oh, why would you want to move from this house? It, it doesn't look bad, you know. Like, you look at the outside, you look at it, so I'm like, that's oh, not bad. It's not a bad house. But then when it cuts to the reality of it, you're like, oh no, this place is horrible. <laughs> I want to go back to it, and it's just set in like it's like you're examining this woman's life, but this is also someone like. It feels so like this world feels very lived in the reality of it. Of just like someone who's like, you know, just like kind of didn't make it where she wanted to after high school or college and was like is struggling to get by and married to a shithead and is in in like a really kind of bad marriage and, you know, is fighting, you know, eating Dunkin' Donuts and Worcester. And I love the fact it's in it's in it's a wicked accent. TV show and there's a Duncan right there. It was like chef's kiss. Perfect. But also doing, you know, a bump of Coke off a key, you know, with a stranger. It's like all this stuff feels like you would hear this story from like someone, you know, or someone's cousin or someone's like that. I mean, it's a Jersey thing. I don't know, but it's like, I felt like it's a Massachusetts thing. Apparently <laughs> we've seen enough Southie Boston, like Irish crime dramas to know, but it's like it, these characters, like when you're in reality, you're like, oh, these are very relatable, real characters. These aren't heightened care. I mean, it's heightened situations in some respects, but it's like they feel realistic and relatable. And you feel for Annie Murphy's characters so much. And Annie Murphy, if you just know her as Alexis, who is, you know, a pretty awesome character, but wildly different from what we're seeing here. And sometimes yeah, absolutely. they make the hard left on a character for their next project. Doesn't always work, but she's like, absolutely perfect and i love that the cut you kind of start anticipating the cuts where it's going to happen with um where it's going to get out of the sitcom but the sitcom stuff like the casting is absolutely perfect for the sitcom of just like the 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 cranky like wacky father-in-law and the you know the jerky man-child husband and like the even more man-childish best friend yeah and- <laughs> just you know feeds the beast and it's just like everything just like is just hits the sitcom tropes perfectly because it has to and then it cuts back to it and it's it's i'm really interested to see where it goes because it's just like this could go to some places and i'm really interested to see what's happening especially when you see this hear this ringing in her ear the whole time like during certain parts i'm like what is that i want to find out what the source of this is and now like the neighbor is kind of in a you know it's kind of her who's like i guess the the man child best friend's wife or girlfriend sister sister okay even worse and so it's like she's in on it with her and but she still has a different part in the in the show but it's kind of like a little in on it now yeah that's that's mary hollis in Bowden, uh who plays kind of like uh kevin's best friend's sister who also lives next door um and yeah, that she is honestly like, I mean, it, what Annie Murphy is doing is remarkable and she has the whole show is on her shoulders and she's doing such a great job. But I feel like uh, the more episodes I watch, the more interested and invested I am in um, in Bowden's character. And I think she's just giving a very interestingly layered performance as well. That is just really, 
really great. She's basically the archetype of, like, just one of the guys, girls, you know? Like, she's just, like, there to hang for whatever. And, like, uh, when you uh, get to know her more, it's clear that she's also dead inside, which is really um, powerful. (laughs) Um, Kind of hints to that, too, because she's just, like, smoke, like, what is it, like, do hair, smoke menthols, couple Duncans, and uh, watch the game with the boys. And she pretty much is, like, you got to know your role in life. And when she says that, you're like, wow, she really has accepted that she is dead on the inside. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, the show, I don't know if it always, like, the con, the contrast between the, the comedy and, like, the, the sitcom and the drama work works really well. I don't know if the drama storyline is quite going in the direction that I would like. Um, basically, in the first episode, it sort of teases that she, like, wants to murder her husband, and, um... That's kind of like the overarching plot of the last of the first few episodes, at least, is her kind of like kind of her mental state continuing to decline and her um, kind of fixating on this idea of if he she murders her husband, then all of her problems will be solved. Um, and that's like a direction to go. I, I, I feel like the characters are so well realized that like I don't need them to be playing in such a heightened prestige drama context you know i feel like they could just be more naturalistic and uh like the the plot in the drama could just be like about how depressed they are and i would be on board (laughs) you know i don't i don't need the gimmicky sort of like and she wants to murder her husband um but you know i'm willing to give them a long leash and see where they take that because they've done such good work establishing these characters and it and establishing this world which fundamentally shouldn't work because of just like the high wire acts that they're performing and they really, really nail it. So yeah, I'm, I'm really into this. I'm kind of like, as I said, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they'll be able to stick the landing here. Um, it's certainly not a perfect show, but I really, really admire the ambition and the performances are all great. I, I also want to shout out, um, again, Raymond Lee, who sort of plays a, an ex-flame of Annie Murphy's character, who kind of returns to town um, and represents this sort of, like, life not lived um, that is... Uh, that she's clearly idealizing, but there is a, there are interesting complications like immediately that continue to get expressed, and that's really interesting as well. Um, yeah, I'm really into the show. I, I hope people check it out. I wish that it was more accessible than being stuck on AMC because yeah. AMC is a, a tough show to get, a tough channel to get people to watch. I feel like at so this that point. That's what I was going to bring up. I feel like the thing that sucks about this show is like just this weird kind of like transition state amc is in because it was like you saw the commercials for it but it's like premiering on amc plus and then and, and, and all of a sudden it's like well it's now it's on the amc plus but in two weeks it'll be on or a week it'll be on amc on tv and it i felt like it was just such a so many people don't have amc plus and then it was such a, like a a disconnect even for me because i was into the show and i'm like i don't know when the show is premiering like like when yeah. you're like four episodes in i'm like wait no i, I thought it did it premiere yet? And like, that's the problem. I think the messaging is so muddled right now with AMC and AMC plus that like, I had no idea when it was coming out. And like, I don't know what the, the overall crowd reaction is to it. The ratings are okay, but it's just like, I feel like it's in the middle of the summer and it's kind of in this weird hybrid of like, they're really trying to push AMC plus. Like, I wish it was during the fall, maybe more. People- I mean, this is the sort of show that usually pops for a basic cable channel 
in the summertime. That is, like, textbook of the last, like, 10 years of TV. But it's really, like, that has become less and less true as, you know, the basic cable channels have ceded ground to streamers in terms of original content. But, like, in the, like, in the Mad Men, Breaking Bad era, that was just, like, commonplace. Like, that's when the shows would air, right? That Because Network had the the fall and spring so the cable channels would get a chance fx did this a lot too usa did this both for their like blue sky royal pain stuff but then also like when mr robot premiered it premiered in the summer like that's the move that these cable channels always did but i feel like we're in such a different landscape now that it's just like everything's getting programmed like 24 months a year you know not even 12 it feels like we're just like every month is two twice as long and uh, and every weekend gets a new series and so it's you don't have a summer to let something slowly build a reputation over time like that was the move right you would get yeah a, you would get a moderate you would put a lot of money in the promotion you'd get a moderate viewing and then it would slowly build over the course of the summer and people would catch up with it and then it would like kind of crescendo in a finale in august and then everybody would be like oh that's awesome and then and then the second season would be huge um that's just a totally different television landscape from what we're what we're dealing with now so i i really wish that amc would would not continue to insist on making amc plus a thing i wish that they would just like sell their catalog to like apple or amazon and just be done with it (laughs) but uh we're stuck in a transition and i hope it doesn't eat up this show alive because i think if this show was on netflix i think this would be a really really buzzy show right now the show was on hbo max this would be a really buzzy show yeah that's the thing it's just like we're in this weird limbo with it and amc is not the, the network like you said like you're right. Ten years ago, this would have been Bad Men was a summertime show, and then it, yeah, and not that that was like a ratings juggernaut, but well, still, like, that left a cultural impact, you know. Yeah. And this show should, but I feel like it's gonna get eaten up. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> when you watch it, it's just like and like they're airing commercials for like just a discovery of witches on AMC Plus, and like that is not real. What are you talking about? <laughs> like this is all fake. So I, yeah, I, AMC's got to get their stuff together. Um, but I get you got to give them credit for airing the show because you know I'm sure that other networks had a shot at this and and they didn't uh, pick up the pilot. So you gotta you gotta give them credit for that at least. But I just I just need them to you know I I feel like Thor in the first Avengers movie yelling at Loki to abandon this reckless dream of his <laughs> just like say goodbye <laughs> this, it all this comes streaming full circle. service that's never gonna work <laughs> sorry I just rewatched the Avengers yesterday um, <laughs> you had to but this is I did good. I mean we got it prepped for Black Widow right guys. Mm-hmm. This is a good show, man. I I just I wish it had a better home, but yeah, this is a show I'm I definitely want to continue with for sure. Yeah, cool. Uh, Josh, you never continue with any of our shows, so what do you think about this one? <laughs> I always say, but I rarely do. So yeah. Don't well, that, that's the thing that bothers me is that this is maybe the first that I'm like actually considering, but it's such a pain to get access to it that I don't know if I will because. Yeah, when I tried to make a free trial for AMC Plus, it literally wouldn't let me. It said your your cable provider won't let us. You have to pay extra. Tell them to make you do it. It's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. That's ridiculous. So, you can watch the first two episodes compiled into one video on YouTube, which is officially uh, sanctioned by AMC. 
Yeah, I, I a think really they, weird choice, but they did do that. Dot com also sometimes airs episodes too. They used to at least like. Well, I know what they did with The Walking Dead. Well, AMC AMC dot com or the AMC app, you can stream this now if you have a cable login. Um, you need you would still be a week behind the AMC Plus um, schedule, but you could still watch it if you have a cable login. If you're a cord cutter, you gotta subscribe to AMC Plus or else there's no way of accessing it. Um, AMC Plus also is the home of commercial-free Mad Men. Um, if you don't want to watch Mad Men on IMDb TV, um, <laughs> I think. What's that? I think it's got Shutter content, or what was Shutter? Yeah, AMC Plus. Yeah, AMC Plus. Uh, if we're gonna talk about this for a second, it's like it's IFC channel, it's Sundance channel, it's Shutter, it's BritBox. So they do have like a little like a mini like ecosystem of content bbc america also um but it's it, i don't know it just it it's never felt like enough to justify a subscription um says the person who owns a paramount plus subscription but um <laughs> you know we all we all have to make our choices uh how else am i gonna watch the paw patrol movie right i'm not gonna see it in theaters with a bunch of kids um so oh, anyway uh last word on this bill I always said, don't remind me of the Paw Patrol movie. Uh, I'm hoping to avoid that. Uh, but yeah, no, I definitely, definitely one of the best shows we've, I think we've done in the podcast so far. Like definitely one I want to go back to and get my wife into because she was, she loved Annie Murphy and Schitt's Creek. So, and this is, I'm, of course, wildly different role, but I think it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll I mean, it's, it's right up there with that jazz show from Netflix. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That one. <laughs> I was right, well, Eddie. What was the other one we did? It was the one that um, uh, the the director of Call Me By Your Name did. It was on HBO. It was a Jack. Oh Lowe. yeah, we are who we are. That show is great. I don't want to hear anything about it. Um, <laughs> no, I just couldn't remember the name of it. Yes, yeah, it's excellent. Um, we stand a legend. Um, you know, Jack Dylan Grazer, star of Luca, got That's his one. start on Thank the Italian countryside um, in We Are Who We Are. So it's. It's actually a sequel to Luca. People don't know that. Um, you should definitely check it out. <laughs> uh, no, not exactly, but they're weirdly related. Um, anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming on. Uh, quickly, uh, Josh, where can we find more of your work on Pop Break and elsewhere? Um, so I normally have a monthly column called The Couch Potato on the site, uh, but since I'm moving later this month and my life is a little hectic right now, I have been dropping the ball on that. So hope to get some of that soon. Uh, people can also find me on Twitter at Josh Cernecki. And then people can also find me on the Anniversary Brothers podcast with my brother Aaron, where we recently talked about the 25th anniversary of the TV show Hey Arnold, a 90s Nickelodeon cartoon. And we have a very special guest coming up for our next movie podcast. And he knows who he is. So that's good. He's, he's aware of it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been teasing this for months in the end well, of no, every TV break not, episode. Teasing the Dinosaurs podcast. That's what we're teasing. <laughs> oh, well, you, you, were so, you were such a success with Dinosaurs. I to bring you back for... Listen, I'm Alan Grant. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> yeah, Bill, so and, glad uh, to have you on board. And sorry for the, the old jokes. You know you are... You know, oh. by far the youngest at heart among all of us. Listen, July 2021, it's old month. That's when uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Old comes out. So best time to be old. Check out our interview with M. <laughs> Outbreak.com. 
Yeah. Also, maybe the worst time to be old, given that movie, does not seem like a great experience for old people. But I guess nope. we'll <laughs> we'll have to see for ourselves later this month. Um, I do want to mention that uh, Anniversary Brothers with Josh and Aaron is getting a triple uh, feature this month. We're getting two movie podcasts and a TV podcast. Movie podcast, of course, on the Breakcast feed and TV podcast right here on Pop Break TV. Bill, how about you? What do you want to tell us about your work on Pop Break? Well, I will be reviewing Monsters at Work. Um, I will be reviewing that on the site. That should be up probably by the end of, uh, probably about the day or so after this podcast airs. And now that's uh, an autobiographical project that you're working on, right? Monsters at Work. That is so, so many ways. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know if I can plug anything because that's, it just, I just felt seen so hard. Um, <laughs> I got, Host of the Socially Distanced podcast, which drops every Friday. We've changed dates because Disney decided to change the release date. So yeah. we are reviewing Low Key. Uh, it's our Low Key, Low Key review series. And Alex, as he always does, will be on the penultimate review episode, as he has done for every review series we've done. So Alex will be joining yes. us. That episode drops uh, Friday. And uh, yeah, so I'm stoked on that. And I also, next week or so, I will be dropping the next episode of This Wrestling Life, a podcast. My guest will be comedian Melissa Jobin, where we talk about wrestling fandom and uh, heralding underrated pro wrestlers. But of course, every day, check out thepopbreak.com, the best site ever. Sorry, I don't know why I decided to make that the catchphrase. But uh, we have everything on film because we're getting the movies back. Music, we're actually shooting concerts in safe and socially distanced environments. Uh, we, of course, have comic books, anime, pro wrestling, digital trends, uh, television. You name it, we got it. If you must follow me on Twitter, and I don't know why you would, it's adpodkinwrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. Check out The Pop Break on Twitter, at The Pop Break. On Instagram, at The Pop Break, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook. Thank you very much, Bill. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at Media Thinkings, on Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. You can follow my film podcast, aforementioned Cinema Joes, uh, where we're going to be talking about In the Heights this week. Uh, we have future episodes planned for Black Widow and for The Green Knight coming up. Very excited. We recorded an episode about Amadeus, uh, very uh, ripped from the headlines, uh, buzzy uh, film from the late 80s. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a definitely check all that out at Cinema Joe's on Twitter for the new episodes. They come out usually every other Thursday. Um, and yeah, I'm no longer the host of Goodbye to All That. I gave up the reins to Michael T. Ford III. He's doing an excellent job, so everybody just check that out on, on uh, this podcast feed. Um, we've got a bunch of other shows on Pop Break TV. Check out all that stuff. We also have shows on Breakcast, uh, the, the Breakcast uh, podcast feed, um, all about movies and music and anime and manga and, and all that good stuff. So definitely check that stuff out over there. Um, you can follow all of our podcasts uh, if you go over to thepopbreak.com and click on podcasts at the top of the page. So great way to see what everybody is up to. Um, as for me, I want to say once again, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, listeners. This has been really fun. I hope you enjoyed our rambling conversations about variety of TV topics. I can't wait to do it again next month. See you guys later. <laughs>